Good morning, Calvary. Our reading today will be from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and Matthew chapter 2. Revelation 12, 1 through 5. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she bore her child he might devour her, devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of king, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, had, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they, heard, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise man, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother 
and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets might be that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all. Trust you had as good of a Christmas as one can have during a global pandemic. Kids, I hope you got everything that you asked for this Christmas. Maylee, uh, who is six in our house, she got a, a board game, and uh, which we played uh, together uh, with her older sister. And uh, Maylee was getting a bit perturbed that Ella kept trying to win the game, which in fairness to Ella was the point of the game. Uh, but she said to Ella, Ella, stop trying to win. You are ruining the game for me and father. And uh, Ella did go on to win. She did thus ruin the game for Maley and father. But in the spirit of Christmas, uh, we all forgave each other and moved forward. So hopefully if you've had any strife around toys in your house, children have all forgiven each other and moved forward. In any case, we have made it to the end of 2020. And all this past year, we've been tracking along in our sermon series, All Things New, the Story of the Bible, and the Healing of the World. And we've been following this single overarching story of the Bible, and we've come to the end of the year. And so perhaps some of you are wondering, what's next? Well, the story of the Bible continues, and so does our sermon series. During the month of November, I took some time and I charted out the remainder of the series. And so we're going to do similar next year, what we've done this year, just like this year, how we time the sermon series to coincide with key aspects of the church calendar. We're going to do the same thing for next year. So beginning next Sunday, to give you a bit of a preview of where we're going, next Sunday, we're going to track along with the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, working towards his crucifixion and his resurrection, right all timed up with Easter and Holy Week. And then from there, we'll cover Jesus's post-resurrection appearances and the church's first Pentecost, timed up to Pentecost Sunday. And then we'll spend the rest of the year following along with the church through the books of the New Testament and the epistles, We'll fold missions into November, as we always do in November, and then that'll bring us up to Advent in 2021, where we're going to arrive at last at the dramatic and the exciting conclusion of the Bible's story. And so in Advent 2021, we're not going to focus so much on the first Advent, the first appearance of Jesus, but we're going to look at what that first Advent symbolizes or points towards, which is the second advent of Jesus. So, from one year from today, the first Sunday after Christmas, this time next year, we will be doing a sermon on the last chapter of the Bible and finishing up our sermon series. So today, Christmas 2020, marks the halfway point 
in our story. This morning, we have two texts before us. We have Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was still an infant, and Revelation 12, when the adversary tried to devour him. We may not naturally associate these two texts together, but when we read them together, they actually help us make sense of each other. So this morning, we're going to read Matthew's account of Jesus' infancy, and then we're going to overlay the Revelation 12 account of Jesus. When I'm preparing my sermons, I typically work hard and I'm prayerful about how uh, to communicate the practical relevance of whatever passage of Scripture that we're looking at on that morning. But sometimes it's enough to simply enjoy Scripture, to simply enjoy and to revel in the story and in the God who wrote the story. So this morning is one of those times. So let me encourage you to sit back, settle in, and let the story of the Bible unfold before you. Maybe I'll have a thing or two to say at the end by way of application. But for now, just let me encourage you to enjoy the story. As we get back into our story, let me just give us a quick recap for those who may have missed Christmas Eve. If you were able to join us for Christmas Eve, you know that Christmas Eve marked the pivot point, the great hinge upon which the whole story of the Bible turns. The long-promised son of Eve has finally arrived. And his arrival has brought a surprising, surprising plot twist. It turns out that God himself is the long-promised son of Eve. And no one saw this coming. And truthfully, at this point in our story, as we're opening up the pages of Matthew's gospel, still only God himself really, truly knows the identity of Jesus. The characters of our story, who we've seen so far, believe that Jesus is the long-awaited son of Eve. He's the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. He is the prophesied heir of David's throne. They know that Jesus is from God, but they don't yet understand that this son of Eve, this fulfillment of Abraham's promise, this heir of David's throne, they don't actually know that he is God himself. They don't realize that God has entered into the story in the person of the Son. Jesus' disciples won't fully realize this. They won't fully realize this until after the resurrection. And neither will Jesus' adversary, the Satan. So at this point, we, the reader, know more about what's going on with the Bible stories than the main characters do. And that's perhaps one of my favorite aspects of the Bible, particularly when we get into the New Testament. It's watching the light of realization dawn in everyone's eyes. Jesus' disciples, Jesus' opponents, Jesus' adversary. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. This morning, Jesus is still an infant. So Matthew chapter 2 picks up Jesus' story in Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem, and we're not sure how much time has passed since the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, possibly a few months, maybe even up to a couple years. Magi from the east, stargazers, astrologers, they're probably somewhere from Babylon. They arrive in Jerusalem, and they have seen a great sign in the heavens, a star that has portended, that has forecasted, that has told them 
that a great king has been born to the Jews. So they travel to Herod to ask him where this king is, where can they find him? Because surely the Herod, who is the king of the Jews, he will know where to find this king. But Herod is surprised. Indeed, Matthew's text tells us he's troubled. Who is this upstart, this pretender, this threat to his throne? He calls together the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them, where is this Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, they say. And so Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem. And sure enough, the Magi find the infant Jesus there in Bethlehem, and they worship him. And they plan to return to Herod to give him a report, as Herod had asked. But before they do, they are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and to return to their country by another way. And so they do. At the same time, an angel appears to Joseph at night, and he tells him to get up and to take Mary and Jesus and to flee to Egypt. Now, the Greek word translated in verse 13 as flee literally means flee, as in run for your life. It's the same word that's used to describe King David when he flees from Saul. The angel wakes Joseph up in the middle of the night and tells him, run for your lives to Egypt. Herod is looking to kill the child. Stay in Egypt until I tell you it's safe to return. This reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings. I promised on Christmas Eve not to use any quotes from 6th century monks until next year, but I made no promises about Lord of the Rings. You know how I like my Lord of the Rings. But this reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf has at last discovered that Frodo has the long-sought ring of power and that the Black Riders know where he is and that they are coming for him. And so in a flurry, Gandalf starts helping Frodo pack as he explains the situation and he's giving instructions to Frodo about where to go and what to do. And his parting words to Frodo could be the parting words of the angel to Joseph. Gandalf says of the ring, keep it secret, keep it safe. You can hear the angel saying to Joseph as Joseph is leaving, keep him secret, keep him safe. So Joseph and Mary And Jesus, they flee to Egypt and just in time too, for as soon as they are gone, Herod sends soldiers into Bethlehem and the surrounding region and they kill all the infants that are under two years old. Well, Joseph stays in Egypt until the angel reappears again and tells him that the one who has sought Jesus' life, Herod, has died and to bring the boy back, the child back, to Israel. But on the way, the angel appears a third time and warns Joseph that Herod's son, who is now on the throne in place of his father, is also on the hunt for the little Jesus. And the angel tells Joseph to take child to Nazareth, an obscure working class village. And there in Nazareth, Jesus is raised, hidden from those who are seeking his life. It's all quite a very dramatic story. A virgin birth, angels, a tyrannical king trying to kill your son, fleeing the country, returning to home again, incognito, hiding out. But there's another layer to this story that makes it even more dramatic. 
This isn't just a story about Herod trying to preserve his vassal throne. There is a darker and more sinister power at work here. Jesus has not been sent to unseat Herod, the small tyrant king of Jerusalem. He has been, un- he has been sent to unseat the Satan, the ancient tyrant king of the earth. And that takes us to our second text in Revelation 12. So if we turn to Revelation 12, which has already been read for us, we see a deeper layer to the story that we've just seen in Matthew. Revelation is a difficult book, and there are many debates about how best to read the book of Revelation. Does it speak of events that have already happened in the past? Does it speak of events that are going to happen in the future? I think the answer is it speaks of both. Though it can be hard to know which parts are which. In Revelation 12, John sees the events of world history unfold in symbolical form. In his vision, he sees what has been, what is, and what will be. In verses 12, 1 through 5, which have been read for us, and that's our focus this morning, these verses speak of what has been. John sees a great sign in the heavens, we read. A majestic woman crowned with a 12-starred crown. As we read further down into this vision in chapter 12, we see that the woman is a symbol of the nation of Israel. The woman is pregnant and she's about to give birth to a male child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. This is clearly the promised son of Eve, the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, the great heir to David's throne. And then John sees another sign a great red dragon. The dragon is also crowned, symbolizing his rule and authority, but his rule is illegitimate. He is a tyrant king. Verse 9 tells us that this great red dragon is none other than the adversary, the ancient serpent of Genesis 3, the Satan, the devil, the great deceiver of the whole world. And in John's vision, the dragon then sweeps a third of the stars, which symbolize the angels, down to the earth to join him. And together with his angels, he stands before the woman in order to devour her child as soon as he is born. The child is born and the dragon moves to devour him. But verse 5 tells us that the child is protected by God. He is caught up to heaven and the throne of God and preserved from the dragon. And these first five verses of Revelation 12, John is seen in symbolical form the entire life of Christ from his birth all the way to his ascension. Now I want us to imagine John's revelation vision overlaid and woven together with the story that we've been reading through the Bible, and in particular, the gospel stories of Matthew that we've just read and also Luke. So let's think about this. The adversary, the Satan, the dragon, 
He has waited and watched ever since the days of Eve for her promised son to be born. The one who has been sent, who will be sent to destroy him. Is it Noah? Is it Abraham? Is it Isaac? Perhaps it's Jacob. Maybe it's Judah. Maybe it's David. Is it Solomon? Time and time again, the promise is passed. But all who inherit the promise die. And still the adversary sits secure upon his stolen throne. Who among the death-pocked line of Eve could possibly cast him down? Yet the promise was made by God. And rightly, the dragon feared it. And so with a gaze further reaching than the Magi, he has ever watched for signs of his rival's birth. And here, at the last, the time is ripe and the child is about to be born. The dragon gathers his forces and centers them in Israel. He will kill the child when he is born. He will devour him while he is still yet an infant. The child is born, but alas, the glory of God covers him like a mighty shield and an army of angels stand watch over him. This is Luke's vision. We have in our mind a choir of heavenly angels singing Silent Night, but it is a host of angels, which is the word for army. This is a vision of a mighty and terrifying angelic army. Because after all, there's a war on and the deliverer has come. The glory of God shines over him. But then the angelic host disperses and with longed talon claws, the dragon reaches out to destroy the baby Jesus. But he is stymied again, this time by an angelic messenger who infiltrates behind enemy lines, as it were, and warns Joseph that the adversary is coming. Jesus escapes to Egypt and the adversary loses track of him. Like Sauron searching for Frodo, like Voldemort searching for Harry, like Darth Vader searching for Luke, the adversary casts a restless eye over the earth. Where has the Christ child gone? The dragon sends forth his dark servants, but no word of Eve's promised son comes back to him. The Christ and the adversary will not meet until Jesus begins his public ministry. And when they do meet, Jesus will no longer be an infant. He will be humanity, fully grown, Adam, unfallen, the true and rightful Lord of the earth. And the dragon, in that moment, will try to do to the second Adam what he did to the first Adam. But that's still a few more Sundays away, so we're going to stop our story here. As I said at the beginning, I don't have a big point of application for us this morning. My prayer has been that you would be swept up into the story, captivated by it. It's a great story. Why do we love Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Star Wars? It's because these stories are all just shadows and rifts of the one true great story. Perhaps my only point of pastoral application 
to you today is to exhort you to remember that our story is real, it is true. The story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2 is it's what we see and know. It's what we experience as humans. But John's vision in Revelation 12 is also true. This cosmic vision. And there's more to the story than we are able to see. There are greater powers at work than what we can know in our human knowledge. That's, of course, why we pray. As we head into another year, let's pray that 2021 is better than 2020. But whatever comes, let us gird up for battle against this adversary. I close by reading the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Paul believed that both layers of the story were true. The earthly layer, but also the supernatural layer, woven together. So I read his words to the church in Ephesus as my words to you this morning, his words to us this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and here's my request to you, Paul's request to the Ephesians. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As we head into 2021, let us pray for each other, praying at all times with all prayers and all supplications. Let us pray that we would resist the efforts of the adversary, that we would advance God's kingdom out into what Christ has won for us. Let us pray that we would proclaim the gospel boldly as God has called us to do through his word. Love you all, Calvary. And uh, I pray God's blessing upon us heading into 21, 2021. Let me pray for us even this morning. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for how uh, you have uh, given us the victory in Christ. You have uh, written a story for us to be part of that is truly extraordinary. Help us to live uh, enthusiastically into this story, believing uh, for your great victory that has come. God, we thank you for Jesus. He is the great hero of the story. He is... 
the one that should have first place in all things. The image of the unseen God. He is our hope, Lord. So here as we finish out 2020, we celebrate your faithfulness to us, Lord. We celebrate Christ, who is the firstborn from the dead. May he have supremacy in our lives and supremacy in our church in 2021. We pray this in his name. Amen.